Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. This is Lenny Murphy. Welcome to another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Appreciate you taking the time out of your day to spend it with us. And as usual, by us, uh, I'm not talking about myself, but we actually do have a guest. And unlike many of these podcasts, this is someone that I have never talked to before. So I am just as excited about this as you are to, uh, to get to know Rob Volpe. CEO of Ignite 360. Rob, welcome. Lenny, thank you so much. It's great to meet you and it's it's great to be here. Well, as I always say, let's see if you think that when we're done. Um, but <laughs> I'm optimistic that uh, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. <laughs> well, now you're really setting the bar high, Rob. So, uh, so Rob, you reached out to me on uh, on LinkedIn and suggested, if I recall correctly, um that we should have a conversation about empathy. And I thought, you know, that is definitely a topic that is not discussed, uh, certainly not on the podcast and probably not in the market research industry as a whole very often. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and lead into why you suggested that topic? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, hi, I'm Rob Volpe, CEO and founder of Ignite360. We're a full-service qual and quant firm Got started, though, in the qualitative space and doing a lot of real deep dive, building empathy, connections between our clients and their consumers, um, and helping bring all of that to life through storytelling and and whatnot. And and empathy has always been part and parcel of who I am. It's my superpower. But noticed as we were doing research projects that, you know, you, you do this amazing deep dive and bring to life the consumers and their lives, their attitudes, why they were buying or not buying a product. And you'd occasionally get a client going, well, I don't understand why they would, you know, spend more than a dollar for a cup of yogurt. And it's like, well, didn't you just hear everything that go on the interviews and hear the things? No. They let their judgment get in the way, or they had other things that were, were getting in their, their space. And you know, when, when you're in marketing in particular, but, but insights professionals are the what I call the empathy activists in the organization. It's our job, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, it's our job to help people understand where the consumer is coming from, what's motivating them, what makes them tick, and what to do about it. And so we started to look at all the things that we're getting in our clients' way, and then even in our own way um, of getting to a place of empathy. And, and that's how we developed um, what we call the five steps to empathy, which is then what I wrote a book about that came out earlier this year. And, and it felt like, yeah, Lenny, we should talk about this because it's important for people in the industry to understand empathy and understand their role in representing the consumer to their constituents. So, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking about that, that lately, for some reason, a lot of the guests, we've all been talking about non-conscious measurement and understanding non-conscious drives of behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and I don't think I ever thought about it until this moment that empathy is a dimension of that. But so often, research always runs into the challenge of 
uh, creating scale, right? The industrialization of research, right? It's just part of the business model and how big businesses become big businesses. And so that navigation towards utilizing technology to understand emotions is logical and it's part of that process, but it doesn't create empathy. Um, it creates understanding, but that understanding is still something we look at in a cross tab, right? It's still you know, primarily a number. It's not that emotional connection that I think, uh, at least the way I think about empathy, it is that, that personal, uh, personal connection to what somebody is telling me that uh, is, is an emotional interplay between myself and the other person is how I, how I would think about that in my own life. And the more we try and scale the research process from a, a business model perspective, the more we lose that depth of understanding that I think that you're talking about. Uh, so would you, what, what do you think about that? Again, I'm just rattling this off the top of my head. No, I think it's a great observation. And, and that's one of the challenges. You know, there, there's an empathy crisis going on in our society and, and for a lot of different reasons. But one of them, the way it plays out in the insights space is that addiction to the data and not really, and, and yeah, you're understanding it on an intellectual level, but you're not connecting to it. And empathy is about that connection. Um, and one of the steps, actually, I'm glad you, you were telling that about understanding. One of our, the fourth step in the five steps is integrate into understanding. And that's making room in your head that there are other ways of doing things and looking at the world, and that's okay. And to be curious about it and to try to dig in and understand. And I think too often we look for, you know, patterns in data or outliers. We look for for that and try to understand it, but we're looking at it from a place of judgment and almost, and, and there's making a judgment, which is making a decision, but it's the being judgmental. It's like, oh, that's the freak on the outside. And rather than going, well, what's going on there? Let's get curious about this and try to understand because, you know, and it's often on the margins that you find the really interesting insight and the unlock to the business um, and that can, can fuel a lot of the growth. So yeah, there, there's challenges with that. We're, we're, you know, and especially in the way people are educated, especially in advanced degrees. If you're going to business school, it's all about you've got to be right. You've got to have an opinion and express it and defend it. Well, what that ends up doing is making you judgmental and saying, I don't understand why somebody wants to spend more than a dollar for a cup of yogurt. And it's like, well, you know, Chobani and Faye have figured it out. And now there's you know all these other brands too. This is kind of live experience of my own from 10-ish years ago. And things I was running into and kind of beating my head against the wall because they weren't making that connection. They were being judgmental rather than being open to it. So along with that, so there's there's the ways that we're educated. There's also just our societal kind of, of pressures. And there's also misunderstanding around empathy. People don't understand what empathy is. They think about it. They go one way or the other. They go, you know, if you ask anybody, and, and I would ask the listeners, just how would you define empathy right now? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Most likely people are going to either say it's feeling the feelings of somebody else, or they'll say it's seeing the perspective of somebody else. And they might even say the colloquial, it's walking a mile in someone else's shoes. All of those are correct. And that's the problem with empathy as as the understanding of empathy evolved and grew, 
a lot of things got thrown in under it. And there's actually different types of empathy. And the two main ones are cognitive empathy, which is the perspective taking, and then emotional empathy, which is feeling the feelings of somebody else. And while we're all hardwired to have empathy and to be empathetic, um, and the neuroscientists have found the, the parts of our brains that light up on either cognitive empathy and then the other part that lights up with emotional empathy, we're not always understanding that we're not always comfortable going into that emotional space. And from a, and that's okay. From a business perspective, I don't think you have to exist in emotional empathy all the time, that really feeling what somebody else is feeling. As long as you can understand where they're coming from and try to put yourself in their position. So step five, using solution imagination, which is then using what you're hearing and understanding to further your conversation, your discussions, your, your decision-making, all the things that empathy actually enables. That is a, that's fascinating. There's actually a lot going through my head that we could go for a hell of a lot longer than I think we have to, uh, <laughs> to explore. <laughs> Can you give an example from a, a business perspective for listeners on the power of empathy to unlock business success? You know, some, some example of how this was deployed. Cause it, let me actually back up for a second before you answer that. And you said it, right? We, from a business standpoint, we get so caught up in, you know, the numbers and et cetera, et cetera. And we have to make decisions and those decisions are to create a very specific result, um, which ultimately is about selling more stuff, right? That is, that's the deal. And the pace of business that we need to get that information quickly and it needs to be easy to digest and, and to manage. And, Empathy is kind of a gooey thing, right? <laughs> it's kind of this, you know, nebulous, like, oh, what? Empathy, emotions, what does that have to do with buying more yogurt? <laughs> right. <exactly. laughs> so, so can you give us an example, um, and maybe it's the yogurt example you brought up, on how it, it can be deployed and the value of incorporating this into the organizational DNA within the insights uh, structure? Yeah, absolutely. So empathy, and this is another thing that people don't understand about empathy. Empathy isn't the end result. You know, it's like, okay, I've got empathy. Now what? You know, I understand where you're coming from, but if you don't actually apply it and use it, it, it it's, I'm not going to say it's meaningless. It's important, but it doesn't, it's not going to have the, the, um, positive outcome. It's not going to, the strength that empathy can deliver, the magnification will be lost. So when I give talks, uh, I've been doing a lot of presentations on empathy building or empathetic leadership. And um, one of my favorite slides talks about how empathy enables the skills that we need to be the people who we are or want to become. So if you think about empathy at the beginning, that enables you to be a better you know, uh, communicator, collaborator, pers using persuasion, you use empathy. If you really want to persuade somebody, uh, decision-making, ideation, forgiveness, trust, all of those things have empathy within it. And if you are coming at it from an empathetic perspective, you will be much more successful and impactful doing that, which then makes you a better leader, team member, et cetera. In the insight space then, so let's take that to the, you know, okay, I've just finished a project. Does the team really understand who the consumer is? And then it's about 
what do we do with this? So hopefully you're using empathy to get everybody aligned. And then you're coming in with a really impactful story or statement or something that can become a rallying cry that can inspire the one big idea that's going to move the business forward. So an example of that years and years ago, um, we were doing some work helping a cereal manufacturer understand the rise of protein. And that was taking away, you know, cereal category has been declining for the longest time. And they were trying to understand how to grow that space again, or at least stem the decline. And everybody was switching to protein. So we went out, did some ethnographies, came back, we were with the, the client team and I stood in front of the group. And I just said to them, like, they understood like, oh yeah, people want protein because it fills them up longer. And, you know, all the the nice sayings that we've had about fuller, longer, and all those things that we, we ascribe to, to what people want out of food. But I said to the team, cereal is like the Chinese food of breakfast. It's something we all crave, but we're hungry again after two hours. And that's an old expression, but I was able to use that metaphor and apply it to that situation. And it was like a light bulb went out or went off uh, for the team. And they went out and created some products that solve those needs. And I think at one point I heard it generated $150 million in revenue for them. So that's an example where they were able to take an insight and go, oh, that's what we need to do and go run with it and generate other you know, big results. And then there's plenty of stories that we have of you know, working with a, a, you know, Starbucks and helping them understand the role of gift cards in, the, in gifting in the holidays. And that led one year to double-digit increase in gift card sales because we were able to take the consumer's perspective and bring it to life. And, and that's the key. It's not just about getting the empathy, but then once you have it, how do you harness it? And how do you focus it so that people can take action and, and build on the sales results? So, so that leads to another thing. We talk a lot about you know, storytelling as the way to create engagement and activation within insights. What is the role of empathy in developing those stories that are impactful? Because uh, I, I suspect that there's, there's a pretty significant role based on what you just, <laughs> the anecdote you just shared. There, there absolutely is. And, and, you know, I, I've written a couple of thought pieces and, and talked specifically with insights people like you have to do double duty. You're not just having insight or having empathy with the consumer, the people that you're doing research with, but you're having to turn around and also have empathy with your stakeholders, your marketers, your R&D, whoever, and help them then get that empathy to the consumer as well. So there's, there's, a, you're sitting in the middle of all of this and you're having to do double or triple duty, but it does come down to the storytelling. So you've got all of the data and it's finding the meaning in the data, but then how are you bringing it to life in a way that's uh, compelling to get people to do something different, to be inspired you know, we're we're ultimately in the business and, and you know i knew when i started the company 12 years ago i was like there's so much data that's out there and technology even back then was letting people do so clients were doing too many projects and they didn't have any thinking time so one of the things we were able to offer was that thinking time and we'd come to them and that's where the name of the company came from um one of my clients and i was having conversations as i was starting the business she's like what you do is you provide 
inspiration. You provide that ignition for the team, that thought. And that was the light bulb moment for me. And I was like, ooh, that's the action word I was looking for. And part of how the, the company name came about. But it's about understanding, you know, and and you've got to strip away the noise, but then bring that laser focus and use the consumer's story to bring the perspective to life so that the team understands and or your clients understand where the consumer is coming from and what to do with it. That so what and now what are just as important as the what. I've had this thing in the back of my mind for a little while now on what does the framework for insights look like in the future, right? And when I visualize it, uh, part of it is this hub that has all these data flows that are coming in, right? Where there is no, no paucity of data available to your point. The who, what, when, where, how, we've got that in spades, yeah. right? Yep. And that is a, a highly industrialized process uh, at this point and only getting more so. But the why, the why, that's the challenging part. And I think that we're in great need for a, a contextual framework and a lens to be able to, to take this information and not just make it actionable, but to make it actionable in a meaningful way. Um, and to your, your point, you mentioned this earlier, that there is an empathy crisis in our culture. And I, I agree with that. I think, you know, we, we talk about selling more stuff, but there's a lot of crazy crap happening in the world. Um, <laughs> and yeah. it seems like it's only getting worse. Um, and the role of empathy in helping not just to solve the business challenges, but also societal issues, political issues, et cetera, et cetera, I think is part of that, that nebulous framework that is in my head. Right? And I don't know how to get it out, but with that idea that there is an empathy crisis and we've just talked about a few practical applications of understanding and how that can be used in storytelling and activation. What are some other topics that you tackle in your book around this, these larger issues of how to deploy empathy more broadly in the world? Yeah. So I, I wrote the book to create something that I would want to read that I would, and that meant I wanted to be entertained and learn through story. So the book itself, tell me more about that, solving the empathy crisis, one conversation at a time. Yes, I talk about some of the, the empathy crisis and what's happening. I definitely go into the five steps to empathy, but they're organized. Each section of the book has my own experiences when I've been challenged to be empathetic, and it's through research projects that I've been on. So you know, before we started recording, you were telling me about, you know, holiday cookie baking and giving gifts to the neighbors. Well, one of the early stories from that's in the book is about when I went to a, a cookie exchange um, and we were doing that as part of a research project. We wanted to see that. And, you know, I had this rule of I was going to try if something was offered to me and I tried it, I'd have to try everybody's and and do all that. And there's a lot of subjectivity to what makes a really good Christmas cookie. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> And how do you respond to that? And the the kind of mm, interesting and keeping a smile frozen on your face, and then that was a form of judgment that I was having as well. And the, I go into the, all the narrative in my head as that was playing out. But beyond that, I mean, there's topics. There's a, a friend slash client who read the book, and she's posted on social media, and I use this now. She's like, this book has um, you know sex, drugs, 
guns and a penis mirror. Like what more <laughs> do you need? And if every business book had something like that, she would, uh, she would read more business books. But I do talk about, we did a project years ago on uh, cannabis and who is using marijuana legally in the States where it's rec- recreational use is legal. Um, there's a chapter or two around sex and um, conversations around sex that, and, and, you know, menopause and, and things related to our sexual kind of being, some of which were projects, but a lot of it was just stuff that comes out, you know, as you're getting to know a stranger. And suddenly there's one, one man who revealed that he was an adult entertainer and we were in his home to talk about how he and his wife make dinner. And it's like, you know, I was moderating, I had clients with me and I could feel them sort of sense a uh, tense up. I was like, all right, well, we've got to, you know, I was curious anyway, but we need to unpack this and hear more about it. And so we spent, you know, 15, 20 minutes talking about that part of his uh, career, but it made him more comfortable. It made us more comfortable And they ended up having some of the best insights of the entire study. And because I was able to get the clients beyond their initial judgment about who this man was, they were able to to go past that and hear what was happening with him. There's another chapter called Fear, which is about when I went to the NRA gun show on behalf of a client and we were doing some intercepts. And, you know, I live in San Francisco. I'm a gay man. So you can imagine politically where I fall and maybe how I feel about gun control and gun safety. So there was a lot of me dismantling my judgment, but because I was able to do that, I really heard on a deeper level how people were thinking and feeling about it and realizing with you know guns in particular, it's all driven by fear. People are afraid of what might happen. It's a scary world out there. They want to be able to protect themselves and, the, and their families. And if you talk to people on the other side of the, the aisle that are you know, for more gun control and, and gun safety, that's motivated by fear. It's a scary world out there. If you are able to approach topics like that from a place of understanding, like, okay, we are both afraid of what might happen. How do we then work together? And this is where the empathy comes into play. How do we have those conversations so that we reach compromise through collaboration and negotiation, but it's based from a place of empathy so that we're not going to take away your guns. You're not going to just feel like everybody's got a gun uh, that's out there. So you're satisfying both needs, but what's, what's the compromise that's going to make everybody feel good. And it's actually a really big issue um, study that, that we fielded earlier this uh, fall. So September, 2022, we're asking people about their worries about all the different kind of global and societal issues and, you know, food prices, gas prices, and uh, home energy prices were the top three. Food at the time was like 72%, gas and, and home energy were 62, 63%. Right up there at 62% was concern that people had about the inability to overcome our differences of opinion. And at 60% was worry about the political polarization of government. And that was top two box. So fairly worried or extremely worried. Ahead of climate change, which was like 55%, women's health, reproductive rights issues at 50%, racial injustice, 50%, healthcare access, similarly, you know, all in the, the high 40s, low 50s. 
there's a real worry about that. People, people see that there's a problem and they are worried about it. The question is, are we listening and what are we prepared to do? Yeah, boy, we could go all types of places with that. And I totally, totally get it. <laughs> so uh, I was ha- speaking of empathy. Uh, so I was having a conversation with my my 13-year-old daughter. And as you now know and our listeners know, we recently moved to the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, right? So we live, now live on a farm and it's <laughs> a big, massive change, which we just jumped into headfirst. And one of the challenges with having uh, school-age kids is is you know making friends. And it occurred to me that, for that generation, their way of interacting is purely digitally. And observationally, I, I think that, that many of them have lost something. And, and I think an aspect of that is empathy, the ability to, to be in a room, to interact with somebody in person, to feel, to connect. And we talked about, you know, well, you know now we have to go and meet people uh, and, and do all those things. And that's utterly terrifying at the best of times for a 13-year-old girl particularly for one who has been raised in this digital environment. And it just got me thinking of like about this polarization and all of those issues, these broader things that, that despite the, all of the great benefits that have come with technology and uh, that was meant to connect us, my feeling was it's not anymore. It's, it's become incredibly divisive and it's fueled this disconnection, not much divide, it's fueled a disconnection for so many people, and in particular the last two years, and that uh, as a species, are we losing that ability because of, and, or, or because we're afraid to, right, to really connect emotionally and engage and deal with that, uh, deploy empathy to solve problems together? Because ultimately, uh, and I, yes, you and I probably disagree on quite a few things, uh, it, you know, at the macro level, but I expect that we are in almost hundred percent alignment on principles, mm-hmm. right? On goals, on values, on, you know, those things. Yeah. We just made a screen how we get there, right? Yeah. What are the best tactics uh, to deploy? How do we build more empathy, not just in our businesses, but also in our research organizations, but in society, if those things are true, if those theories seem to hold some, some weight, any thoughts on? Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing it up. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that you have that awareness and, and are expressing it. And it is a, a challenge. And there's a lot of different things. To, uh, our relationship to technology itself is something that has hindered or dampened, atrophied our empathy muscles, you know, and then social media on top of it. So think about those as two very distinct things. You know, how many screens are we carrying around? Whether, you know, it's that classic, you go out to eat. And I would invite anybody, if they haven't done this before, the next time you're out to eat, notice how often people at your table, but that really the tables around you, how often they're looking at their phones and engaged in their phone as much or more sometimes. And and when you see a a family of four doing that at a a dinner, it's really, it's sad, but it indicates the ways that our relationships have fractured. And yeah, you you can't have empathy. You can't build empathy in, you know, 140 characters or 280 characters or whatever the limits are. And so what do we do about that? Well, the first step is having awareness that there is an issue and that we need to be doing this. And then we have to have the courage to actually try something different, to actually have the conversations. 
you know, you, you have to, it's not even about putting yourself in situations to be empathetic. It's choosing to be empathetic in the moments. And so an example, I had to run to the FedEx office here a couple of weekends ago to pick up a package and pouring rain, San Francisco. So that doesn't happen all that often, but it was cold and rainy. There were a lot of people in line and I got to the front of the line. The assistant manager came up and I just said, Hey, how, how's it going? And he was like, you know, gave me kind of a pat response. And I was like, oh, okay. Cause you know, that everything was fine. And I was like, well, okay. Cause I saw that there was a line and I'm sure that's just, you know, it's crazy right now. And that little bit helped him. And then he went off and, and got the packages that I, I had waiting for me, but just that little moment of me connecting with him. And that was a display of empathy. I was expressing to him that I can imagine that it's kind of a crazy day because it's raining and all that. Well, he came back and he thanked me for saying something and he appreciated my positivity because he said it had been a crazy day and the people were really cranky and and very short fused. And so we talked about, you know, the weather gets people in a weird spot and everything. And I tried to empathize a little bit more but it was just that little act in an interaction that I was going to have regardless. But I had a choice of how I was going to engage and interact with him. Didn't take very long. It would have been the span of the usual interaction, but I made a choice on how I was going to interact with him. It made his day better, made my day better because I felt good that he felt good and I had helped with that. Those are the little things that we need to be doing. And whether that's with the clerk at the store, or if it's with the, your team on a call, it's those little engagements, those little, Hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Cause I know you got that big report, you know, you're, you're crunching on something and it's, you know, whatever it's the holidays or you've got a vacation coming up. How are you doing? Taking that moment to say, I see you can go a long way to making somebody else feel supported and that they belong and and that this is a good place for them. And, and, you know, you've seen that play out with the great resignation and a lot of the reason why people left was that they weren't feeling supported. So we have to have the courage. We also have to have the patience to practice and, you know, understand the five steps. You use those five steps to empathy in the moment when you're having those interactions, dismantle your judgment, asking good questions actively listening, integrating to understanding, as we talked about, and using your solution imagination. In that moment, imagining like, okay, I've heard this from this clerk at the FedEx store. He's having a bad day. How can I help him feel better or further our conversation showing that I support him or I understand where he's coming from? And then we have to have grace with ourselves. We're human. We're not perfect. We do have short fuses. We forget. I'm judgmental myself. It comes out, um, you know, and I have to catch myself and I have to have that mindfulness, that self-awareness. Where's that coming from? You know, and can I choose, do I have the courage to choose to do something differently and and have a different approach to it? Mm. Thank you. That's powerful. And I love that last, uh, that last bit of the courage to choose. So I think that's uh, that's an important principle to keep as well. So, uh, conscious of time, we, we've run over from our schedule uh, that we had. We've talked about the book. Where can people find the book? Book is available in hardcover, ebook, and I narrated the audiobook. And it's wherever people prefer to buy books. So, 
you know, all the audio platforms, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local independent bookstore, they, they all have it or can get it for you very easily. So I hope people go and check it out. Um, and then they can also learn more at Ignite360's website, which is ignite-360.com. Um, and then I invite people to find me on social media, Rob Volpe, V-O-L-P-E, or Empathy Activist on Instagram and Peloton and some of the other places. Oh, that's great. And I think uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that our listeners particularly will have an opportunity to engage with you in other ways across the Green Book platform. So we'll, we'll chat about that later because this is an important topic. We are in the business of understanding humans. I am gravely concerned that we don't, we must keep humans in the center of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I talk about human behavior instead of consumer behavior. I mean, that's, it, it is humans. And behind all of that data that you see, you know, if 97% of your customers are doing something, well, out of 100 people, nine, that's 97 people. They're real people that are there. And we need to understand who they are and, and see them and respect them and, and, and meet their needs, understand that why. Yep. Yep. Could not agree more. Rob, thank you. This was, it was a great conversation. At least I hope our listeners think so. It was for me. There are a few times that I actually uh, started to tear up a little bit. So I'm glad that we, uh, we don't have video deployed on this uh, for, for everybody. <laughs> but these are important topics. And, and thank you for bringing it up. I appreciate you reaching out. Glad you wrote the book. And I hope that we have more conversations because uh, I think this is my, my gut tells me that as things progress just in the world, we need to showcase this. We need to talk about these topics because it's just, it's just important. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me on and the courage to talk about all of this. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, I think I just kind of fell into it, but, uh, but here we are. So we did it. So <laughs> we made it through, we made it, we made through. it through and, and admitting that you teared up. That's really, that's touching. Uh, and it's, a, it's wonderful. I, I appreciate that. Oh, I'm a big baby. Um, so speaking of see, see you, uh, uh, we took the kids to go see Avatar 2 this weekend, right? And of course, that's Ooh. the thing that I'll be. I see you. You know, I always, there are a few points I always just sob. And it's like, oh, God, what? God, I'm such a baby. But so. yeah, but that's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. A friend, I've been dealing with grief uh, quite a bit lately through some personal losses. And uh, one of my friends, uh, she... My parents, so my, I lost my uh, grandma. I was 104 years old, um, but I got to be there with her when she passed, and it was amazing, amazing experience. And I've been processing all of that and noticing how people process things differently. And my parents ended up both getting really sick, along with my sister and a few other people, like shortly after the funeral and everything. And I've been fine. My husband's been fine. And one of my friends said to me, she's like, well, process or be processed. You know, you you need to let those emotions happen and flow. And it's a beautiful thing. Like that, that's part of what makes us human is that we can have those emotions. So cry during Avatar or, you know, during Titanic or whatever the movie is or the moment, that, you know, yeah, feel those feelings because keeping them bottled up is not good and, and your body will find ways to get them out. That's true. And, and deepest condolences on the loss. 104. Boy, we could have a whole other podcast probably talking about that, that life. Oh, uh, um, yeah. She was, she was a force of nature. Uh, really amazing, amazing, inspiring woman. 
Oh, that's that's amazing. Well, as uh, may her memory be a blessing. Sounds like it already is. So. Oh, definitely is. Thank you. Okay. All right. On that note, um, before we hop on to something else, because <laughs> we, we may go for multiple topics here. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. Want to give a shout out to uh, our producer, Natalie. Thank you for all that you do. Our editor, James, to our sponsors. And of course, to you, our listeners, because without you, we wouldn't really have a reason to have this conversation, which I found very meaningful and hopefully uh, you did as well. So thanks to everybody. And thank you again, Rob, for joining us. Thank you, Lenny. It's been a pleasure to be here. All right. Take care. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.